me invite you to take out your Bible, and if you need one, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Turn over to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, and we're going to talk about the God who still moves the stones. The God who still moves the stones. Thank you. I'm still cooling down from that bathtub up there. Yeah, it's like 85 degrees in there, so it's good. The God who still moves the stones. As we think of the Easter message today, John chapter 20, I invite you to take out your outline too as well and fill in those blanks. Maybe you're a guest here, and I just encourage people, I tell people all the time, fill in those blanks. And even if you throw this paper away out the door, you'll remember more by not just hearing, but also by writing down these things. In John chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and he saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. And both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed." For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that they must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Well, today is the greatest day in all of human history. That's not hyperbole or exaggeration. No day comes even close. The resurrection of Christ is the foundation upon which Christianity rests. And I want to remind you at the outsets of this message that Christ is the only one whoever came back from the dead. It's true, there were other people who were raised from the dead in the Bible, but that was through human agency, but it was God himself who, rose, who brought Jesus back from the dead. Ken Ham, who's an inspiring writer, he talks about how a woman was washing her dishes and looked out one Saturday morning, and she saw that her German shepherd had the neighbor's rabbit in its mouth. And it was shaking it relentlessly. Now, the problem was the neighbor and their family didn't get along very well. So she knew this was going to be a disaster. So she grabbed her broomstick, went out and pounded on the dog. And finally, the dog dropped the rabbit. And the rabbit was well beyond dead. So she took it in. She gave it a bath. She fluffed it up. She combed it. She blew dry it. She made it look as best as she could. And she snuck over and put it in the cage of the neighbor. And she went back to washing her dishes and had the window open, and all of a sudden, about an hour later, the neighbor comes out and starts screaming. And she comes out and says, what's wrong? She says, well, two weeks ago, my rabbit is dead, and now it's back in the cage. <laughs> well, in, we know that in Old Testament times, they knew that when rabbits died, they stayed dead. They also knew that when rabbis died, they stayed dead as well. A scholar by the name of N.T. Wright said there were many messianic movements in the first century. 
But in every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome as Jesus did. And this is what he writes. In not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. And I'm here to tell you today that we serve a risen Savior. We think of Buddha, who's still in his grave. He died at age 80, and he's still buried there. Mohammed died in June of 862 A.D. in Medina, Turkey, and he's still there. Confucius died in China in 500 B.C., and they still go and honor his grave, but they go to Jerusalem, and they see the empty tomb. That He's alive. He's Lord. He's our high priest. He's our coming and conquering king. So I'm here to tell you as we serve a risen Savior this morning, we're here to celebrate that fact of history today. And we give praise to God who moved the stone that day and a God who still moves stones in the trials and tribulations of our life today. What does Easter stand for? Well, in a multitude of different answers I could give you, we're going to look at six today, and we're going to use the letters from the word Easter as an acrostic. So the first thing we see on your outline is E equals an empty tomb. An empty tomb that provides hope in a COVID-depressed world. We just read John chapter 20, and the first thing we see in that passage is that of discovery. Discovery. Mary goes to anoint the dead body of Jesus as women did back then in the time. She approaches the tomb. It's still dark out. She sees the stone is rolled away. And she runs and tells Peter and John that Jesus has been moved. She didn't actually go into the grave to see what actually may have occurred. Well, this stirred Peter and John's curiosity. So they take off running. And they ran as fast as they could. And John gets to the tomb and he stops. And Peter, Peter being the impetuous one, he just runs right by John, goes right into the grave. And Peter spied the grave clothes folded neatly, and the headpiece was off to the side of the rest of the grave clothes. Pastor J.D. Greer says this, speaking of the resurrection, you know a miracle occurred because a single male adult folded his laundry before leaving the grave. (laughs) Think about that. But seriously, they were discovering what was happening. But they were dumbfounded in verse 10 of John 20. It says they went home. They had no idea what had happened. Did someone move the body? Did they take Jesus' body out to the burning dump outside the walls of Jerusalem called Gehenna, where they often took the left, the bodies of those that were crucified? Or was he truly alive? The disciples were searching for answers. Friday had come and gone, and Jesus had died on the cross. As I mentioned on Friday night, Can you imagine the bewilderment, what Saturday must have been like for the disciples? They probably wonder, are they going to come for us? You know, what's going to happen going forward? Why did I leave everything to follow this foolish man for three years? And now he's dead. Many people are feeling alone in despair and looking for hope this COVID-19 affected by Easter. When will this pandemic end? When can I travel and visit family once again? When is it safe to return to normal activities? We're all being challenged by this ongoing pandemic and what to do and when. Matthew chapter 12, verses 20 through 21, these verses are on the screen. 
A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until God brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles' nations will hope. A bruised reed, a smoldering wick. That describes many people in this room today. Perhaps you've been bruised by the trials and tribulations of life. Perhaps you've been bruised by harsh words or by a friend's anger or maybe even a spouse's betrayal or by your own failure or the failure of those that are around you. Perhaps you feel like a smoldering wick. At one time you had a passion for God and for ministry and for life and it was all flaming high, the, the torch within you. But the winds of life have blown hard and now you feel like the wick is about to go out. You're about to give up. There are many bruised reeds and smoldering wicks in the Bible. Think of the woman who is standing there after being caught in adultery. The elders had stones and they were about to kill her for her sin. We think of the leper who was cast aside. No one in society would want to be near that person. Think of the blind man that Jesus healed who was by the side of the road, the paralytic who was lying in a, a stretcher and his friends take him and tear the roof off a house and bring him to Jesus. We see all kinds of smoldering wicks, bruised reeds in the Bible. And the world is so good at breaking those reeds in two and snuffing out those smoldering wicks. But what did Jesus say? He said, a bruised reed I will not break and a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. In my name, you will put your hope. And the great message of Easter is that if Jesus Christ was powerful enough to move the stone and overcome the grave, then he's powerful enough to remove the stones that are blocking victory in my life. The resurrection gives us hope in the face of the unfairness of the world, and it gives us strength and courage in every and any situation you and I face. And we need that, you need that, and I need that as well. The resurrection validates every promise Jesus ever made. And it's the good news that gives hope and light and encouragement when everything else looks bleak in life. So the first application here is the foundation of hope that overcomes this world comes from the truth of the empty tomb. You can bank on God's word because Jesus validated or God validated through Jesus all the words that he said by bringing him up out of the grave. Our second letter in the acrostic of A, A stands for an angel, an angel who invited them to experience the empty tomb for themselves. An angel who invited them to experience the empty tomb for themselves. Look at Matthew 28. Flip over in your Bible, if you would. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at some of the different gospel accounts. Each one of these writers came from a different perspective. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, 
for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Notice the evidence. First of all, the missing body. The missing body. The angel invited Mary to see the evidence for herself, to look in that tomb and see that Jesus is not there. And God still invites you and I to do that. And anyone in the world, you can look for yourself the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, the physical bodily resurrection of Christ is there if you will investigate it. There's the empty tomb. There's the undisturbed grave clothes. And think about it. If someone were going to steal the body of Jesus, would they take the time to unwrap him and fold the clothes and leave him there? Because that's one of the theories that somebody stole the body of Jesus. I don't think they would have done that. We think of a 2,000-pound stone that was rolled away. Over 515 eyewitnesses. Now think about that. That's staggering. In one account, he was seen by 500 at one time. If we were to start right now, this moment, having one of those 515 witnesses spend 15 minutes telling you what they experienced with the risen Christ, it would go on till Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, to Friday morning, 128 hours of testimonies, if they had 15 minutes each, to talk about how they experienced the risen Christ. And the evidence shows that he rose again. The tomb was empty. The soldiers had no story. And millions down through the years attest to this reality. Second of all, the message of truth. The missing body, but the message of truth. When the disciples and others were confronted with the truth, they could not deny what had happened. The only conclusion they could come to is that Jesus had risen from the dead, and as Jesus came and appeared to his disciples and the 500 people at one time, they finally accepted the fact of the resurrection. And how do we know that? They, they became bold in their witness. Instead of cowering in fear as they had before, instead of denying Christ like they did at the Garden of Gethsemane and all that, in Acts 17.6, the authorities said, and when they could not find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They become, became bold witnesses for the fact of the resurrection of Christ, which leads to the gospel, the saving power of Christ. So not only the missing body, the message of truth, but they marveled at the empty grave clothes. They marveled. Think about this. Atheists over and over have tried to prove the resurrection of Christ wrong. And down through the ages, Simon Greenleaf, Josh McDowell, C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, Malcolm Muggridge, who interviewed uh, the famous uh, Sister Teresa, and the amazing thing she did, he couldn't deny the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And on and on the list goes of personalities, Dion Sanders, Emmett Smith, who've tried and dug into it. And the more they dig into it, they bow at the feet of Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So the application here is the testimony of our experience with Christ is powerful in our witness with others. The testimony of our experience with Christ is powerful and our witness with other people. We move on to the letter S. S means surprise at an empty tomb. They were surprised. You've got to realize the disciples, 
Even though they might have heard the prophecy, they didn't really think it was going to happen. There's a little boy who is named Scott. He was four years of age, and his dad always gave him two quarters to take down stairs to his Sunday school class each week. And uh, one week, Scott came back, and he still had those two quarters in his hand. And the dad says, you know, you're supposed to take that offering and give it to Jesus. And Scott said with all sincerity as a four-year-old boy, yeah, dad, but Jesus doesn't often show up down there in our classroom very often. (laughs) Well, not many people expected Jesus to show up alive that first Easter Sunday morning either. But what a surprise, what a shock that his new birth caused. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. First of all, we see the disciples' surprise. Notice here in another account in the Gospels, the angel and Jesus send a message to his disciples to go on to Galilee, and he will meet them there. And I want you to think about this in the context of how God moves the stones and takes care of the trials and the tribulations in your life. Think about this. God was going ahead of the disciples to meet them in Galilee. You see, God doesn't just go through the trial or the tribulation with you. He's already gone before you and paved the way and prepared the way. That gives us great confidence. Think of the triumphal entry that we talked about last week on Palm Sunday. Jesus commanded his disciples to go and find a donkey and untie it. And if the owner says, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it. God had gone ahead and set that up. We think of the Last Supper. Jesus told his disciples to go and find a place where they could gather together for that Passover meal. And he said, when you go and ask for the room, tell them the Lord has need of it. And that person will make preparations for it. That gives us great hope. Isn't it great to know that in the midst of our difficulties, of our trials and tribulation, God has already gone before us and prepared the way. So the disciples' surprise. Then we see Mary's surprise. Mary's surprise. Flip back over to John chapter 20, or you can see these verses on the screen. John 20, it says, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there talking about Mary, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. A couple things to point out in this passage. Why didn't Mary recognize Jesus? Well, it was probably still dark. Plus, she'd been weeping with deep emotion. And you ladies know what it's like when you cried and you're spent. 
Sometimes you can't see very clearly and it's night. But when Jesus said her name, she recognized it and recognized his authority and knew who it was. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. He wasn't saying, you can't touch me because I have a resurrected body. Basically, what he was saying was, hey, I'm going to be here a while with you to fellowship before I leave. So let's wait and let's move on and let's find the disciples. So we see Mary's surprise. Then we see the religious leader's surprise, the great cover-up. You see, the disciples struggled with believing that Jesus was going to rise again in three days. But guess what? The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they believed Jesus' prophecy. That's why they posted a guard at the tomb. And so when the earthquake came and shook and the Roman soldiers left and they were fearful, in Matthew 20, verse 11, it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. They paid them off and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. They could have lost their lives for being delinquent in their duty because the grave was open. They'd failed. Verse 15, so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. Everyone was surprised at how it turned out. The soldiers didn't have an answer. The Pharisees were caught coming up with a backup plan. The religious leaders who thought they buried the one who challenged their way of life were shocked on that Sunday morning when the stone was rolled away and that Jesus Christ had risen victoriously over sin and death. And that is the greatest surprise this world has ever known. God can do amazing things in your life. He can turn things around in your life in a heartbeat. This is what gives us great hope. And if you know Christ is your Savior, you and I, we possess the same resurrection power. The same power that brought Jesus up from the grave lives within us if we know Christ is Savior, according to Romans 8, verse 11. So the application here is God can do the impossible in our lives. He can do amazing things. He can overcome. He can do things we could never imagine or think. He can do the impossible. Well, we're halfway home. We've done three. Here's the next letter in our acrostic for the word Easter. T, tell others that Jesus is alive. T, tell others that Jesus is alive. We see the meeting with the disciples. Turn over, if you would, to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. At the end of this gospel, in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They went there, and Jesus was already there waiting for them. The meeting with disciples. But then we see the message of commission for his disciples and for you and I, who are his modern-day disciples. In Matthew 28, reading in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, he leaves us with this promise, I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. You and I, we're in mission together. And then the Bible talks about it. Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians. Paul said, you know, I sow, Apollos waters, and someone else harvests. God gives the increase. But we do it together. And people come to know Jesus because grandparents sow, because Christians pray, because friends invite, people talk, greeters greet at the door, preachers preach, and God uses us all together to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings the conviction, the circumstances to soften their hearts, and in time they respond and they receive the gift of eternal life and the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. So you and I, on this Easter morning, if we know Christ, we're commanded to go and tell of the resurrected Christ, just like the disciples did. The application here is that the reality of the resurrection at work in our lives should motivate us to make disciples of others. The reality of the resurrection at work in our lives should motivate us to teach people how to believe and then teach them to become disciple makers as well. Two more letters, E, is excitement. Excitement that the women felt that morning. In Matthew chapter 28, you're in that chapter there in your Bible, look up at verse 8. Notice that they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. The disciples, Mary, they were filled with fear. In a good old family circus cartoon, it's a picture of uh, Jeffy and one of his brothers walking through the aisles of a store looking at all the beautiful Easter candy. And he says, Friday's not so good, but Sunday's going to be gooder. <laughs> and isn't that true? Even that's bad English, but it's sure profound. Early that first Easter morning, the disciples and the women who were the first to find the tune empty didn't realize how much gooder Sunday was going to be. But it sure was, wasn't it? But we don't always see right away how things are going to turn out. That's how it was for the disciples on Friday night and all day Saturday. But what a difference a day makes. They were in fear of the implications of what it meant to have an empty tomb. A death possibly for them if they were accused of stealing the body of Jesus. Or the resurrection could be true and all that possibly could mean. But not only were they filled with fear, the Bible says, but in verse 8 it says they were filled with joy. So they departed quickly from the tomb, Matthew 28, verse 8, and with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. There are many of you that are living in a day one of the Good Friday experience. It's dark. There's doubts. You wonder what the future holds. How are you ever going to climb out of this situation that you're in. Life is pouring in on you. And in the midst of this, you want to maintain hope. But, but what a difference a day makes. There are probably even some of you in this room that have gotten through the pain of the initial shock of a trial or a response or a tribulation that you're dealing with, and now you're numb with pain. And you're trying to figure out, like on Saturday, where do I go from here? How am I going to deal with this situation? Who can help me? In this time, think about day three, a day of victory, a day of good news, a day of renewed hope. And if you aren't there yet, be assured that it's coming because Jesus Christ has won the victory. And day three means hope. 
And day three means a change of fortune. Day three means victory now or in heaven. But what a difference a day can make. So maintain your hope. Maintain your faith and be encouraged and excited about day three because God still moves the stones, the stones that need to be moved to set us free. So the application is this. Be like the disciples and shepherds who were filled with joy, who were filled with joy and told others about Jesus. Think about those shepherds. What happened when they happened upon the baby Jesus? They went out and they told all of Jerusalem of the new birth of the king of the Jews. And we need to be like the shepherds. We need to be like the disciples to share the joy that's in our hearts. Then we come to our resurrected, the Lord who is living today. Resurrected, the Lord who is living today. We see many challenges by scholars over many centuries to the resurrection. There are many who have theorized that this couldn't be true. And I could spend a lot of time sharing with you those theories. There's the swoon theory that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but he was emaciated and unconscious. And while he was in that tomb, the cool, humid air revived him and brought him back to life. But I don't know how that could be because he was beaten near to death. And then he was crucified and was on a cross for six hours with tremendous loss of blood. The prevailing theory in modern times is the hallucination theory. I heard a a commentator about this the other day. Do you realize that uh, 7%, that's 7 out of 100 older people that have had a loved one die, have had a hallucination experience thinking that their loved one was either present in a room with them or in a dream? Okay, 7 out of 100. Think about that. Now you take and you have 500 people that saw Jesus at one time What's the odds of 500 people seeing the same thing in a hallucination at the same time? The wrong tomb theory. The disciples didn't know where Jesus was buried. That the real Jesus wasn't nailed to the cross. It was somebody impersonating him. Some believe that only, Jesus only rose spiritually, but his body's still physically in the grave. But the fact of history, and read the case of Christ or watch the movie, for example, is that Jesus bodily rose from the dead And even historians who are not believers testified to it. One of the greatest examples is the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus that testified within 50, 60 years of the resurrection of Christ that Christ physically rose from the dead. Do the investigation yourself if you doubt. So then we see the certainty of the resurrection. The certainty as we close today. Take your Bible and turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. At the beginning of this service, I said, Christ is risen. You said, he is risen indeed. That's a creed that one of my former professors, Gary Habermas from Liberty, said he did all the study on it, that it literally could have been just hours after the resurrection that the believers began to say, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's based on this because This is the earliest song or the earliest recitation or responsive reading that occurred in the church. 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul records it. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here's the central theme of the gospel. Verse 3, for I delivered to you, 
as a first importance, the number one priority, Paul is saying, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This was a creed or something, as I said, they sang or recited each time that they gathered together. They staked their lives on the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. So our final application is this. The one who moved the stone from Jesus' grave can move stones in your life today. As we said, that same resurrection power that brought Jesus up from that tomb lives in us if we're believers in Christ. And we can overcome any sin. And the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is he removes our guilt, our sins, but no other religion can do this. He removes our shame as well. And we are one with him. When he looks at us as believers and we've confessed our sin, he doesn't see sin. He just sees the one he loves and the one he created. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know how well you have coped during this pandemic, but there is hope even for our loved ones who have died and gone before us beyond the grave. Our key thought is this. The evidence and power of the resurrection are sufficient to stake your eternal soul on. The evidence and the power of the resurrection are sufficient to stake your eternal soul on. Let me close with this story. Kay Arthur is a noted Bible teacher, Precept Ministries. I know one time Bettendorf Christian had a Precept Bible study going on here in our community. She's a writer. She's a lecturer. Thousands of people have been impacted by her Bible studies around the world. But I bet you don't know her background story. Many years ago, when she was in her 20s, she was as far away from God as a person could possibly be. She was living with her husband, who was manic-depressive, and she got sick and tired of living with him. She had an affair with a married man, and when her husband confronted her and became so depressed, he threatened suicide. She was so crass, and she said, go ahead and commit suicide. And guess what? She said, if you do that, then I get the insurance money. So he got a rope and he hung himself because she said that. And Kay Arthur said that as she drove away from the cemetery that day, that she felt like a failure as a wife, as a mother, and a person. She felt such anger and frustration and pain. And she said as she drove away, she shook her fist at the sky and she screamed, to hell with you, God, to hell with you, God. But she said what I didn't know until later, after I became a believer, was that that was exactly what he did for me that he went to hell and gave his life for me and he died on my behalf to give me the grace that I could be saved. You know what he did for me, she said, and for you and for each one of us this morning is that Jesus died and took our place, each individual person, to be the payment for our sins. You can read that story in her book, Lord, I Need Grace, if you'd like to read more. Well, Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're feeling the same way that Kay Arthur did. Maybe you're mad at God. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't want to know him, you think, because of all the pain that's been supposedly brought into your life. But God works all things for good to bring us to the place of knowing who he is. The Bible says that each one of us, we were born into this world with a sinful nature. We come into this world and we're born to be with this idea to be selfish, to be independent, to be on our own. Any of you have children or grandchildren, you can raise your hand. You don't have to teach them how to hit their brother or sister. 
You don't have to teach them how to steal the toys. You have to teach them not to do that stuff, right? Because we're born with that bent to do what we want to do when we want to do it. But the good news is, is that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, set an example, did amazing miracles, taught people, and all that was important. But the main reason he came was to die on the cross and shed his blood and pour out his blood. Because the Bible said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Isaiah said that though our sins be as scarlet, they can be made as white as snow because of the blood of Christ. And when we come and realize that he took our place on that cross, that our sin should cause us to be separated from God for all of eternity, but that he came and took our place. It would be like someone on death row and Jesus comes along and says, I will go to the electric chair for you. I'll be the one who will be, take the shot that will kill me so you can live freely. And when we receive Christ as our Savior and realize that we have sinned and ask him to forgive us, he will cleanse us, come in and live in our hearts and lives because he is the risen Lord. Let's bow our heads and hearts today. And maybe you're here today and maybe you've never surrendered your life over to Christ. Maybe you've never said, God, I want to let you be my personal Savior. My question to you today is that when you stand before God, and he asks you why I should let you into heaven, what would you say? It's not going to be based on how many times we went to church, how many little old ladies we helped across the street, or how much money we dropped in the offering plate, or how generous we were. It's going to be all because we trusted in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. What he did, the finished work on the cross, if you're here today, and maybe you've never received Christ, or maybe you're watching by live stream, all you need to do is pray this simple little prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, and just say, Dear Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. I'm guilty as charged. But I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to turn away from my sin and turn to you and ask you to come into my heart and to be my Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, Christians praying. Maybe you're here today, maybe you've prayed that prayer. I just encourage you, no one is going to embarrass you, but just slip your hand up so I could pray for you. If you prayed that prayer today, you want to know for sure that you have a relationship with God and that you have the gift of eternal life. Anyone at all, just before we pray. Father, we thank you that as your word goes out, that it doesn't return void. And Lord, you know the hearts of each individual in this room, and on the live stream. And Lord, as we celebrate your resurrection, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth that People from age 5 to 95 or however old they are, they can come to you because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter our standing in society, our status, but Lord, you see all of us as your wonderful creations that you want to restore us to the purpose that you created us for by having a relationship with us. So I pray that if anyone in the sound of my voice doesn't know you today, that they would make sure that they have this relationship with the risen Christ, 
We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.